Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. July 19th, 2018, she said she was out of the marriage. We were still under the same roof for about two and a half weeks. And during that time, you know, there was not a lot of emotion shown from her. And about a week into it, I just said, why you're not even sad about this? I, I don't get that. And she says, well, I said, how come you're not even mourning the loss of this? And she says, Bob, I mourned the loss of our marriage years ago. Our marriage has been over years ago. And at the time, I didn't really get the impact of that statement. I do now, which meant, yeah, she was emotionally, mentally, spiritually checked out years before. to Voices of Celebration. This series is designed to inspire and encourage you as we share real-life experiences of former Journey Beyond Divorce clients who invested in their personal growth through divorce and emerged a better version of themselves with a more rewarding post-divorce life. to another episode of Voices of Celebration. I am so excited about today's conversation. A dear friend of mine and former client, Bob Coleman, is with us today. Welcome, Bob. Thanks, Karen. I'm so excited and honored to be here with you and really grateful that you asked me to join. Thank you. And it is such a gift for each of our clients who come and share their stories. The feedback we get is just tremendous. And so I know this too will touch many hearts. So well, I'd like I'm excited to, to be able to pay it forward. So thank you for that opportunity. Absolutely. Let's give our listeners just a little bit of context, how long you were married. Um, I know you've been a divorced for a little while now. Uh, maybe what led to the dissolution of the divorce and as uh, the dissolution of the marriage in as much or as little detail as you feel comfortable giving. Great. Well, I, as you know, Karen, I'm an open book. So I, I have learned a lot of this through my process with you that the more authentic, vulnerable, open, honest, and direct I am, the better it is for my own healing as well as for sharing things with others. So um, I was 29 years old when I got married, Um, when I met my, and I'm not going to refer to her through this conversation as my ex, because to me, and I've shared this with you, calling her my ex feels disrespectful to me. So I call her my was wife um, because she was my wife at one point. So When I was 29 is when I met her. We dated for two months, engaged for two months, and married. So win dating courtship, you know, really fast. She had been married once before, and she also had a little child, a little son who was 16 months old when we met, 20 months old when we got married. I was uh, soon after the marriage able to adopt him and love the fact that he's a part of our family. So awesome. Um, we were married for 20 years, during which time we had two of our own biological children, so three kids, um, and we had a lot of, of joy and happiness. We had a lot of good times. We also had a lot of struggles right from the beginning, and I have to say, neither she nor I 
were good captains of our emotions. We didn't have skill sets. We didn't have the knowledge. We didn't have the capacity to navigate lots of things that needed to be navigated. And so from my standpoint, there was a lot of withdrawing, isolating, stonewalling. On her part, there was a lot of, you know, when we talk about attachment theories, you know, I had anxious, she had avoidant. And sometimes that would switch depending upon what the subject matter was. So mm-hmm. it, it, we found on, we found pretty early on, Karen, that there was some pretty good toxicity in our marriage. Now, the other thing that really created a lot of this challenge was both of us came into our marriage with some sexual trauma. Um, I came into the marriage with a history of, um, uh, what's the term I want to use here? I was told I was a sex addict. I know that what I came into my marriage with was a regulating behavior where I would turn to pornography and masturbation at times as a way to console and regulate my own system. That's something that I had learned from the age of 10 when I was first exposed to pornography and then all the way on up. So it was a regulating behavior. I did not have an addiction, but I was told by church leaders, by therapists, by my wife, by many others that, yeah, you've got an addiction. So, I mean, I, I would go long stints. I mean, the longest during our 20 year marriage was seven and a half years without any kind of a, in the addiction world, they call it acting out or slip or relapse. I call it an incident. Right. So long periods of time between that time. However, because I brought that behavior into our marriage, it created a lot of betrayal trauma in, in my wife. Sure. I totally understand that. I totally get that. It's something that really became an issue between us. And it really affected the sexuality in our marriage, which really affected all levels of intimacy for us, right. sexual and non-sexual. It affected our ability to communicate. It affected our abilities to, to connect to just simply connect, Karen. And it was very, very problematic. And we went through years of therapy. We tried all kinds of programs and things. We were involved with 12 steps, both of us, because I was told I was a sex addict and she was told she was a very deep codependent. And so we both had our issues. Really, Karen, and you helped me to understand this. We both had a self-love deficit. We both had, you know, we both looked at each other as you're broken, you've got issues, you know, what's wrong with you? And instead of taking care of working on the self-love deficit that each of us had individually, it, it, it became really toxic. So we were married for 20 years. I had an incident after seven and a half years where I reverted back to the pornography and masturbation for a a two-day binge. And she had a boundary of, she said, hey, if you ever go back to that, I'll divorce you. So she did. There's a lot of details around that of the hellacious work environment that I was in at the time. I was having some health issues because of that, financial issues. So there was a lot of things going on around that, Karen, that caused me to reach such a low emotional place that I chose to go back to a behavior that had helped me in one form or another regulate. And she chose to say, Hey, I'm, I'm done. Now she had already chosen to be done years earlier, quite frankly. And I think she would admit this if she were on the call here with us today too. She was waiting for that shoe to drop. In her mind, I think she knew that if she kept withdrawing enough, there would come a point where I couldn't stand it enough and I would go to a place that had consoled me in the past. And that would then give her a reason to say, yeah, you went back to this, so I'm out of the marriage. And honestly, I don't blame her anymore, Karen. I don't blame her for that. That was the exit inflection point that she needed to be able to say, I'm out. Just you being able to say that today just speaks volumes about how far you've come. Uh, 
Well, thank you for seeing that. I appreciate that. I feel the same way. You know, it's during, you know, once she said it was July 19th, 2018, that she said she was out of the marriage. We were still under the same roof for about two and a half weeks. And during that time, you know, there was not a lot of emotion shown from her. And about a week into it, I just says, why you're not even sad about this? I, I don't get that. And she says, well, I said, how come you're not even mourning the loss of this? And she says, Bob, I mourned the loss of our marriage years ago. Our marriage has been over years ago. And at the time, I didn't really get the impact of that statement. I do now, which meant, yeah, she was emotionally, mentally, spiritually checked out years before. And that so, so often happens with the, the person who's unhappy and uh, trying to figure out how to leave. And maybe there's marriage counseling and what have you. But oftentimes one spouse is very far ahead of the other when the D word comes up. And so you're like in this early stages of what the heck and grieving and denial and hurt and anger. And, and to her point, she's like, I've already done all of that. Yeah. And that, that brings its own difficulty and stories that one can create in their head about like never being loved or the marriage being a hoax or whatever. Yeah. You know, I, if I, looking back, I can certainly see the signs of where things were because during the last two years of our marriage, at three really critical pivot points. I said to her, sweetie, we really need some additional counseling and therapy. Let's do this. And she's like, no, I'm done with that. It hasn't worked up to this point. I'm not going back. And, you know, to me that, that should have been the signal of, you know, I'm not sure that this can be salvaged. I'm not sure that there's anything more that can be done here, but I chased, I pursued, I became very needy. I became locked in my anxious attachment style and she locked into her avoidant. And it was a dance that we were familiar with and we danced it really, really well. Wow. And we danced ourselves right out of being married. So, 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 your date is 2018, July 2018. So it's four years since um, since she told you that she wanted to end the marriage. Mm -hmm. You had the initial kind of shock and devastation. That's what I'm hearing. What 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 were some of your greatest worries or fears going into? The divorce. One of the biggest ones was my fear of missing out. Mm. That was a pattern. I think it was also playing into anxious attachment style that I picked up as a child, but I hated to feel like I was missing out. And now that we were no longer married, um, the kids, so at the time when we divorced, my youngest was 14. My kids were 14, 18, and 21 at the time. The one that was 14, you know, that was the one that I was struggling the most with in terms of feeling that loss because knowing that I was going to miss out on watching the last four years of him grow up and not being under the same roof and not being able to see there when he woke up and not being able to see you know, seeing when he went to bed and, you know, luckily he and I were already really good friends. Anyway, I was really good friends with all three of my kids. We had a great relationship, but that fear of missing out, Karen was overwhelming. So that fear of, and then, you know, right soon after the divorce, she started dating and then to see other men being able to clock time with my kids, it was devastating to me. It was a huge fear of feeling like I'm going to lose out on my kids won't love me anymore. They're going to love this other man. I'm not going to get time with them. And, and to a degree, there was, there was a lot of lost time because they were connected with this other guy. I mean, you know, especially the guy that 
that my was wife ended up marrying, which is a whole other story. But you know, he had a boat, and so I'd go to the lake all the time, and and you know, he had toys and things, and and I didn't have those things, and so there was there was time that they had with their mom and this other guy that I was missing out on. That was probably the biggest fear, the biggest issue for me of feeling. Yeah, and I get emotional when this point comes up because this was so huge for me of feeling like I was going to lose my kids. Yeah. Lose them to another man who'd not been around to watch them grow up and didn't have a connection with them. But because he was tied to their mother, he would get time with them. And I felt anger and resentment and bitterness and just um, a huge lack of willingness to forgive. And it was in a conversation, Karen, that you and I had when you helped me to realize that I was in a deep place of resistance. And until I could shift into a place of acceptance, that didn't mean I had to approve of it. It didn't mean I had to forgive. It didn't mean I had to, you know, give into it or that I had to like it. I just had to reach a point of accepting and saying it is what it is. And honestly, Karen, until I could reach that point, everything was heavy and it was heavy resistance. And I just kept hitting the walls and the emotions that were crying out for me to acknowledge them. They just got repressed and shoved away and ignored. And it, it just made my circumstances worse. You know, as you're speaking, Bob, one of the things I remember, and just from the ages that you shared, right? So your kids are going through those teenage years where there's peer pressure and there's, you know, there's hormonal changes. And the one kid who was in college, and I remember talking about how they had they they had the divorce and then they had all these other things going on in their life. And um, you know, and and the stories that we can create about like that they're doing it to us or, or that we're the victim of, as opposed to your one son, I remember he was navigating his life in college and he wasn't coming home as often, or he wasn't communicating about the car as often. And, and it's so easy to take that personally when you're in that place of such hurt and fear of missing out. Yeah. And that one that you're referring to, there was a nine month period of time where he didn't want to talk to me. And it was during that time when he reconnected with his biological dad. And quite frankly, for him, it was incredibly healing. It was an incredibly strong, restorative and healing time for him that needed to happen. But it just fed that fear of missing out for me. And that was uh, was just, it was really, really deep. And, and there was one point through that period, Karen, when I, I didn't know that I wanted to stay alive anymore. And that was a really, really dark period for me. Yeah. And I have to say, our discussions really helped buoy me up and give me hope and to there was a couple of months period of time through there where it really is what kept me going and kept me holding on to some faith and some kind of hope that it would resolve are you emotionally overwhelmed heartbroken bitter paralyzed by fear? In order to effectively navigate the significant decisions before you and skillfully master your life after divorce, you must attend to your emotional recovery. Our 12-step divorce recovery program is an emotional roadmap that guides you to feel clearer, stronger, and more in charge of yourself. Thousands have emerged transformed by the lessons, strategies, and tools our roadmap provides. Divorce will change your life. Enroll in the 12-step divorce recovery program today and ensure that the changes will be life-enhancing. Go to divorcerecoveryprogram.com to enroll. 
you and I talk so much about faith, uh, and and I re I recall so many sessions where that was the foundation that the only foundation that you could stand on was the love of your heaven, heavenly Father and trying to plug into the belief that you were worthy and enough just as you were. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about um, the faith part of your journey. I'm more than happy to. Now, some of this has shifted, Karen. Some of this, since we talked last, you may not be aware of, of all of this, but, you know, I grew up my first, so I'm 53 years old. Um, I was born and raised in a certain rigid Christian religion for, you know, for 50 years. That was my belief system. It was everything. I mean, it was, and because of the way that the religion was structured, it, it was everything. It demanded everything. It was everything. Um, during the first while of my divorce recovery, but my faith in God was part of what I held on to. But I'll be honest with you, it was also part of what was traumatic for me. Because as I had been raised in the church, I saw my Heavenly Father and God as an angry, vengeful, out-to-get-me, looking-to-punish-me God. And that began... I didn't realize this, but it began at age 10 when I started in some behaviors that were extremely contradictory to church standards, family standards, social norms, those kinds of things. And the shame was just overwhelming. And, you know, long story short, yes, at first, faith in God and in Jesus really helped pull me through to a point. And then I reached a point of realizing, wait a minute, there's a lot more going on here and under the surface and a part of what I had been believing as my faith than what I was giving credit to. And quite frankly, some of that faith and belief was part of what was causing me internal struggles and problems. And so quite frankly, I have left that church. I have totally stepped away from it and I have totally stepped into a, split, a space of evolving and transforming spirituality where I have a deep connection to the divine and to a higher power. I struggle using the word God because, again, there was so much wrapped up in that, mm -hmm. but I'm unpacking that. I'm deconstructing that deprogramming all of that programming that really caused a lot of havoc in me. And I'm finding a great deal of peace and comfort in turning internally and into my internal knowing, which quite frankly, by doing so is helping me to reach out to a divine that feels so much more loving. And the divine is both masculine and feminine to me. In this journey of understanding masculine and feminine polarities, but also what it really means, the divine masculine and the divine feminine, and how those, when they're in, in, in concert with each other, the harmony that's there, mm -hmm. I have learned so much about God, the higher power, the divine, and I'm incredibly grateful to be sitting in the space I am today, evolving, transforming, learning and growing in my faith in a way that feels so much more empowering than a limiting, rigid, restrictive and constricting religion way. And again, I'm not faulting the religion, it is what it is. There was a lot of good things that I learned from that and the family values and et cetera. I had to step out and away from it in order to continue on my healing process because it was way too problematic for me. And, you know, Bob, thank you so much for sharing that because I know that there are people listening and, you know, we can say 
higher power, divine universe. It's it's unconditional love, what, whatever yeah. you call it. And what you had described to me and just described to our listeners um, that you were raised in uh, was was lacking the unconditional love and obviously causing you all types of pain and just good for you for following um, your heart and your soul and your gut to find something that fits better and that is more healing for you. Thanks, Karen. And, and there's a really critical piece to, you know, that unconditional love. There's a component of unconditional love for me that I never really understood nor embraced. And that's the unconditional acceptance. I saw myself as unworthy. I saw myself as unlovable. I saw myself as unacceptable on so many different levels. And the healing that I have found in those spaces because of choosing to embrace love, acceptance, approval on a totally different level has just been so (sighs) transforming to me to be able to look at it and say, Bob, there is nothing that you can do that would change your worth, your value, your lovableness, and your acceptableness. Nothing. Nobody else's opinion matters in those spaces. What matters most is your own opinion of that. And I have grown into a point where I have evolved. I still have a long ways to go, but I have evolved to a point of where my self-love for myself is really deep. And therefore, you know, my acceptance for myself is just I really like who I am today. I really like where I'm going. I really like what's manifesting and what's showing up in my life. And and Karen, our discussions were huge to this, to shift out of a mindset that was so limiting and so lost. And so, you know, there's this term that's used a lot in the addiction world and in religion and in all these things of, of brokenness. And I can relate to that, but that doesn't, that doesn't fit. You know, there was a lot of pieces that had been torn apart. But when I really look back, I was damaged. I was struggling. I was hurting, but I wasn't broken. You know, it it reminds me of the concept of a mosaic. Uh, If you look at a mosaic um, close up, there are some really pretty shiny pieces and there are a lot of broken, you know, garbage pieces. But when you step back and you look at the whole mosaic, it's beautiful. And as you're describing your journey, you know, we all have our shortcomings, our insecurities, our faults, like the things that we're ashamed of and their talents and our skills and our passions and all the beautiful things. And I love what you said. It's like, we're not broken. And yet to embrace those parts of us that aren't shiny and perfect, those parts of us that are flawed is to embrace the whole mosaic and to trust in the unfolding of it. And you have been, I will say, it's just been such an honor working with you. I think that all of our listeners can even hear as you describe how how hard you worked, how much you, you rolled your sleeves up and really faced scary things, faced uh, limiting beliefs, faced history, faced shame, faced the fear of losing your kids and just pushed through all of that. Um, When you look back, so, so four years later, here we are, how long did it take to actually get divorced? I'm just curious that changes so much from state to state. So if you were told in July. Can I put one pin Can I put one pin in that question? Because as we're talking, there's something I need to take accountability for. Okay. (laughs) So there is something still wrapped up in that term brokenness for me. So, you know, religion told me I was broken, that I was a sinner, that, you know, I, I needed all of this. And so there's trauma for me around that word broken. And so there's work for me to do around that because I know that there are some people who they can relate to and connect to the word broken. And I get that. 
I totally do. And there's probably, again, some additional work that I can do, maybe some additional shadow work around that were broken for me because I never wanted to feel broken. Sure. There may be some beauty in that brokenness. There may be some healing for me in embracing and accepting that term of broken because, you know, I have heard the term and this was nourishing to me at the time, beautifully broken. You know, so there's more there for me. So I'll just publicly take accountability for the fact that there's <laughs> there's some work for me to be done around that term broken. And I'm yeah, I'll, I'll look at that now back to your yeah. question. Yeah. So my divorce took three weeks. I'm in the state of Utah. Oh, my goodness. So it was fast. Now, part of that is because. And there's some details around this, and I have no intention of throwing my was wife under the bus in any way, shape, or form. She had been divorced once before. She was being counseled by family members who had also been divorced once before. I had never been divorced once. I had never been divorced before. I didn't know anything in the process. I chose to work with the same attorney. It was her attorney. The attorney was representing her, but really she and I weren't battling over things. And so I chose to work with that same attorney. It was a fairly smooth process. Looking back, there were two pieces where I should have had my own counsel. It was a financial piece and there was a, um, there was a child care piece that I should have had my own counsel to graciously, kindly come back and say, you know, first and foremost, in the divorce, when she chose to step out of, uh, you know, to leave the marriage, I was working for her sister's husband. So my brother-in-law was my employer. Right. And you probably remember this, but... When she said she was out of the marriage, my brother-in-law then says, well, you're no longer welcome in the family business either, but I had been in for eight and a half years. So my marriage fell apart. My job and my business was taken from me. I was unemployed. I didn't have a source of income. So marriage fell apart, job taken from me, had to sell the house, loss of connection with kids in many ways. So, you know, I had a lot of things that I was navigating. That's a, that's a tsunami. Yeah. And so in the divorce process, I should have retained my own counsel from a financial standpoint because what was laid upon me for child support and alimony was um, totally unreasonable. Now, to my was wife's credit, Four months after the divorce was final and I'd been making some payments, I went back to her and I says, look, there is no way that I can navigate this and manage this. There's no right, way. Right. I was unemployed. The numbers that were used in the divorce were based upon my employment before. I agreed to it because I didn't know any different. Mm -hmm. I cannot do this any longer. So I made a proposal to her and to her credit, she agreed to it. And it, and it cut everything in half. Nice. So it was difficult for her, for sure. It made it more palatable to me, but I was pulling money out of savings to pay her. And I was then pulling money out of the sale of my house to pay her because I was trying to rebuild a whole financial life. So to answer your question, July 19th was the day she says we're out. She's leaving, and it was like August 9th that everything was final. Wow. That's like, you know, in, in New York, it can take forever. Mine was three and a half years. Three weeks is just way too short for anybody. There's no time to process. That's that's just seems like nutty. Um, yeah. Now, you know, we only spent 2,500 bucks, too. So our situation is was different. You yes. know, and, and again, looking back, 80% of how we did it, I'd have done it the same way again. Right. I just would have had some additional counsel 
to do some things differently up front. And again, to her credit, and quite frankly, to mine, we were navigating things without a lot of high conflict, without a lot of, you know, extreme anger and resentment and bitterness in it. Um, I think the the takeaway for our listeners on this one is even if you have a really amicable divorce, you should always have your own advising attorney. A hundred percent. It's just it's parenting time. It's finances. It's your future. And so um, even and, and I think that's the powerful thing, even in an amicable, even where like 80 percent of it went well, that advising attorney could have just covered that 20% going well as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And that would have been financial. It would have been health care. It would have been child care. It would have been some religious clarification. There were some things that played out that honestly weren't all that um, great. But again, she and I navigated it. But there's some things that could have been clarified better up front. I just didn't know. And so my advice to the listener is retain your own counsel get advice there and plug in with Karen. (laughs) At Journey Beyond Divorce, we know that sometimes the most powerful support we can offer is to help you process the storm of emotions you're experiencing and gently challenge the beliefs that are keeping you stuck. The way Karen delivers her program is that she validates the feelings, the emotions, the ups, the downs. She hones in on the specifics that really talk to that particular person when they're going through this crazy emotional time. Let us be a beacon in the midst of this crazy emotional time. Book a free lifeline call with us to help lift the fog and begin practicing new ways of thinking, being, and doing that better support you as you journey through and beyond divorce. Our gift to you is taking that first step with you on your free Rapid Relief Lifeline call, where we help you navigate the emotional and logistical turbulence of separation and divorce. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call. So, so let's let's get back to that that piece again. So, you said the greatest fear was um, around your kids, and and obviously a variety of the the the, co- the the dysfunctional dance, the the addiction, the codependence. Looking back now, um, you've been divorced three years. Um, what would you four. say for, what would you say is, um, were your greatest areas of growth through the, the divorce and the coaching um, piece? Mm, yeah, I love that question. Um, the greatest areas of growth were first a grounding and attunement through a shift of perspective. I couldn't think my way through this on my own, Karen, nor could I feel my way through it on my own. I had to have somebody who had been there before hold my hand and navigate this one step at a time to help me navigate through it. I didn't know what I didn't know. And having you shepherd me through this and guide me through it and lovingly and kindly, empathetically, considerately open my eyes to things that I didn't know that I needed to know And how to just make some subtle shifts in some of what I was saying to myself and in how I was thinking, that was life-changing for me. I mean, life-changing and quite literally, Karen, life-saving for me. Yeah. I I received that. (laughs) Yeah. 
Because there were times I couldn't navigate it, Karen. I was too locked in the story. I was too locked in what was happening and what I was telling myself that it meant to see a whole other perspective. I mean, I'll never forget one time when you shared with me, you says, Bob, when, when, you're, when you got married, you had one child. It was awesome. And you loved him desperately and dearly with all your love. And then your second child came along. And you asked me, you says, Bob, did your love for your first child diminish and minimize when you had the second child? And the answer to that was no. My love expanded. There was more of it. I didn't know that was possible. And you says, Bob, is there a chance that that could be the same situation for your kids of their love for you is solid and strong and will never change? Can you open your heart, Bob, to the possibility that your kids could also love another man that their mother loves and look at it from the standpoint of could that be healthy for your kids? And that conversation, Karen, I'll never forget that day because that was monumentally paradigm shifting for me. But I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know how to navigate through that and to think through that in a way that could open my heart and mind to accept more love, to give more love, Mm -hmm. and to allow others to love in a more expansive way. I just, just, it just was not in the realm of my capacity at the time. So that was huge. You also opened me up to, you know, the, the knowledge of my own self-love deficit. You know, one of the things that my wife said to me as she was walking out the door, she said, Bob, you will never learn to love yourself the way you need to while we're married. How prophetic, how prophetic of a statement that was, how deeply cutting and painful it was. And the interesting thing is, Karen, I don't know if she realizes this or not. I would like to say that she has. She was spot on for me. It was also spot on for her. She could never learn to love herself the way that she needed to while she and I were married. It just wasn't in the cards for us. We had a lot of great things in our marriage, but it was very limiting to both of us. And the marriage needed to terminate for us to be able to continue our journeys in two separate paths. And that's something else that's been a huge knowledge and understanding that, again, you've helped me navigate. Two months into our process, Karen, in one of our conversations, There were some huge aha moments. I don't remember what they were, but I do remember, and I will never forget this. The very next morning, I woke up with the feeling and the understanding in my whole body that, Bob, this divorce didn't happen to you. This divorce happened for you. Are you going to choose to embrace that? And that was a part of our next discussion. But you helped open me up to being able to have my body presence that thought for me of, Bob, this is happening for you. This is a gift. You know, before that, I'm like, like hell, it's a gift. (laughs) This is going to destroy me. This is devastating to me. But you helped open me up to the fact that, you know what? No, this is a gift for you, Bob. And it's a gift to her. She had the courage to recognize it and say, I need to leave our marriage. And I actually, quite frankly, Karen, I honor her courage for doing that. And I've told her that. That was a really healing conversation for both of us when I told her that I honor her for making that choice. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was incredible. But I bet you didn't see that coming a couple of years ago. Oh, hell no. No way. <laughs> No, and, and quite frankly, Karen, to the question you asked, I didn't have the capacity to even presence that thought in myself, let alone have the courage and the strength to share that with her. I didn't have the ability to captain my emotions in a way that would have allowed me to be in my own safe space 
in and of myself mm-hmm. to be confident and loving myself enough to be able to even have that kind of a conversation with her to say, hey, you know, you know what, let's talk about a couple of things because there's some accountability I'd like to take for a couple of things. And there's some things I'd like to honor you for that I'm going to shock you just a little bit. <laughs> and when I shared that with her, I mean, it was a very tender, tearful exchange, but extremely healing for both of us to have that kind of conversation and, and accountability. And she shared some things with me about how she showed up and her accountability for some things. And it was, yeah, Karen, I'd have never, I'd have never thought that that kind of a conversation could ever be had. So. So here you are, um, you had a fairly amicable lightning speed divorce. Um, You've been co-parenting for close to four years. How would you describe your relationship with your kids that you're afraid of losing and with your was wife? And I really like that term. (laughs) Um, Let's start with the kids. My relationship with the kids is better than I could have imagined. Um, In fact, the son, my oldest son that I was able to adopt, um, he's engaged to be married in August. He's actually living here with me part-time before, you know, before they get married. You know, honestly, Karen, three years ago, I didn't know that that was possible. And there was too much anger going on there. It, It couldn't have happened. But we have grown and evolved together in ways that are just unbelievable. And with my daughter, it's all three of my kids at different times have said, dad and to their mom, thank you for pursuing the divorce. You know, we we are happier because you are divorced. The tension that was there is gone. They've had their own struggles, for sure, having to navigate what love is and, and navigate the fact that, you know, especially from our religion standpoint, that, hey, you know, marriage is for, for forever. And, you know, now it's not. That's not the example that mom and dad have shown us. But the other thing that's interesting, Karen, is the example that their mom and I have shown them is that there is a place where the love for yourself may have to transcend the love, the obligation to stay in a marriage. Because at times, the connection with that partner, the the love's not there. The toxicity is so high that it becomes damaging to the children. And that's where it was becoming for our kids, the emotional and spiritual damage to the children by my was wife and I staying in in that marriage and together, it was sending the wrong message and teaching the wrong lessons to our kids. And the fact that we separated out have now taught them, hey, it's okay for me to love myself first and foremost, because then, I mean, you know, go back to the Ten Commandments, you know, love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, you know, and then Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in my opinion, there's a major problem in the world that we have is so many people can't love their neighbor because they don't know how to love themselves. They don't have the capacity to love their neighbor because they don't know how to love themselves. Yep. If we could. And so many people look at that and they say, well, that's selfish. You know what? Is it? Is it really? If we shift the thought and move into a place of loving ourselves. Do we not then have more capacity to love others, including our spouse, including our children, including our neighbor? In my opinion, that whole commandment has shifted in a very, very, very healthy way. So the kids are in better spaces. My connection with my was wife, I would have never imagined that she and I could be friendly and kind and, you know, enjoy interactions with each other. So I just asked her, what's today, Thursday? I just asked her on Sunday to send me some pictures from that vacation we were on three, four weeks ago so that I could use them on my dating profile. (laughs) You know, how about that? 
you know, and for her to be so excited and, and for me and willing to send them and happy to help, you know, it's just, that's, it's, it's a, it's a place that I would have never imagined being, but I'm so grateful, so grateful to be here. You know, wow, gosh, I feel like we could talk for another hour. Uh, I want to I want to ask you a question based on what you just brought up. Um, we're in the process of doing a dating and healthy romantic relationship series, and you have actually been dating for a while. And I don't want to ask you so much, although you're welcome to share anything you want about your dating life. I'm, I'm curious about the who, Um the Bob that shows up um, dating in comparison to the Bob who whose marriage fell apart four years ago. Like what it, how would you describe the the positive impact the work you did over the last four years has had on your ability to go back out into the world, meet women and start, you know, and, and find find a healthy relationship? Mm, thank you for the question. The man that's sitting here before you today does not look, feel, show up. It's not the same man that I was four years ago. I, in, in no way, shape, or form. My body has transformed. My, my spirit has transformed. I'm a different man. Divorce recovery work guided and led by you has been huge being involved in men's work for the last two years has been huge to help me understand my own divine masculine and what's available there for me mm-hmm. so the way i show up is a very different self-loving self-accepting confident man not arrogant, but confident in, I know who I am and I know what I bring to the table. And dating for me is all about play. It's all about fun. It's all about connection. It's all about adventure, which are all things that I'm having to learn and rediscover. And so to me, that's how I approach dating. Do I want to be in a long-term committed relationship again someday? Yes, but it will look very, very, very different than what my marriage looked like. And my intention, I'm dating with intention that's very, very different. Karen, one of the longest distances I've ever traveled is from here to here. And as a man, I think it's a little bit more challenging for a man to travel that distance. From one's we're head so to one's much, heart. Yep. Yes. We're so heady in so many things. But as I have allowed myself to drop into my body and to drop into my heart, you know, and I'm going to use a term that some people may be offended by. And if we have to edit this out, that's fine. But as a man, I have to be connected in my head, heart, and balls. So I have to be connected to my sexual polarity and into my head, but really into my heart, into my emotions, and to feel my way into things that before I used to think my way into. And I have discovered that a woman can feel that. You know, when a woman that you're dating says, Bob, I can't feel you. There's something to recognize. There's something to look at. She can't feel my emotion, but she also can't feel my sexual polarity. And that's not a place that a woman wants to be, nor is it a place that I want to be, nor a place how I want to show up. And so, you know, when I, when I'm dating, I really try and attune and ground myself before I ever go out on a date to get myself heart centered and into my body and out of my head to stop thinking and to start feeling. And it has created dating opportunities and situations and connections and relationships that have just been unbelievable. I mean, I've connected with women in ways, honestly, Karen, that I never did with my was wife because I didn't have the skills. I didn't have the ability to see things and to step into a space in my marriage that I can now 
and quite frankly, create a safe container for a woman to step into with me in her divine feminine and embrace her divine feminine. Here's a challenge. Here's something that I have found in my dating. So many women in my age group, let's call it 40s and 50s, they are stuck in their masculine because they've had to be. They've had to show up for themselves and their kids and, and work their career and do things that in many ways have been uncomfortable for them. And so they're in an energy and a polarity that I can feel that. And to me, my job as the divine masculine is to create a safe container and a space for a woman to relax into and to step back into her divine feminine and to relax into her creativity and into her flow rather than having to be so structured and regimented and in a masculine space, which she's had to be to take care of her kids and to provide, you know, for her financial needs, et cetera. I'm really, really aware of and empathetic to women having to be in their masculine in order to survive. But to me, I'm trying to invite, <laughs> I'm trying to invite the divine feminine back into a space to connect with me and to have them trust that, you know what, I got you. I can hold you in a space that will allow you to relax. Right. So that's, that's how I'm trying to show up. Well, that's beautiful. And I've just been speaking to a number of dating and relationship coaches. And one of the themes is that, um, that single moms, high powered female entrepreneurs, that, that it's easy for us to get stuck in, in that. And one of, one of my guests talked a lot about um, play. They all talk about the importance of sexuality. And so what you're describing is, is just so point on um, for, for both men and women, like the roles and it's, it's not, and mass for the audience, um, we we both have masculine and feminine yes. in us, and so it's and so the question is, um, what comes to the fore and when, and how do you have that really beautiful connection? And I think you did a, a really lovely job of describing what your desire is and what some of um, some of the people you've dated has probably struggled with. Some of the women have struggled with that masculine. I have to share um, one quick thought experience with you. Sorry. So just about a month and a half ago, there was a gal that I was dating and we were, we'd had a fun exchange that day together. And, and, you know, so we were, we were back at home and it, it was fun, but it had been intense a little bit. And I had to, I just grabbed her shoulders and I looked into her face and I said, I can't feel you. Are you here? Are you with me? And, you know, she was able to, I could feel it. I could feel her shoulders relax. I could see it in her face and her countenance. She just relaxed and she started to cry. And she's like, nobody has ever held me that way. And nobody has ever asked me that. And, you know, for a woman to say that to me. And then she said to me, she says, are you for real? And, you know, I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah I'm for real. <laughs> but that was such a shift for me to be able to be the one to hold that safe space, to invite her in. It just, it felt really, really good. And it was a deeply connecting experience for oh, us. That's, so that's it was, beautiful. It was awesome. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that story. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Bob. Uh, loving, loving this conversation. I'm going to ask you before we wrap up, if you have uh what words, not if, because I know you do. So what words of wisdom and encouragement would you like to share with our listeners before we say goodbye? First, there's a lot of joy and a happy life on the other side of the struggle sit with it, feel your emotions, embrace the pain, take it one hour at a time, one day at a time, one week at a time. There is no agenda. There is no rush, but just 
embrace your humanness mm. and allow yourself to feel what you're feeling and accept that because the more you resist it, the harder it's going to be. That shift was huge for me. I didn't think that there was life on the other side of what I was experiencing, but I just, I would love to just look into every single person's eyes and say, there is life on the other side of it. There's hope, there's joy, there's excitement, there's thrills, there's adventure, there's connection, and probably connection in ways that you can never even imagine right now. I'm still discovering that that's possible, but it's a beautiful thing to for me to finally have hope and optimism and belief in the capacity of love and in the capacity of deep connection again. And so, you know, what they're experiencing right now, it's not the end. It's a new beginning. Painful as hell. I get it. I totally get it. Embrace it. Step through it. Walk through it. Because there is another side to it. And it's glory. <laughs> it's glorious. And it's enriching. And it's nourishing. And it's a whole new world. So, yeah. Just hold on. That's what I'd say. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much. You, thank you for sharing so deeply. Thank you for um, dedicating this time to pay it forward. And it has been an absolute honor and privilege to work with you. I love you, Karen. And I, I love what you're doing. I love the space that you and your team create. For those of us whose lives were falling apart, to step into a space, to be held to be seen, to be heard. I just, I could not have imagined. Yeah, it was, it was such a safe place, Karen, and I so needed it, and I'm incredibly grateful for it, and I am so excited for anyone that's currently in that space of choosing to work with you and your team because that is the best choice they could make. And this is not a sales pitch. It's not anything like that. It's, it's a reach out with love that if you choose to work with Karen and her team, you're in the right place and you will be held and seen and heard. And I just, I'm eternally grateful to you and your team for how you have helped me through this. So oh goodness. I received yeah. that. Thank you so very much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for receiving it. So for all of you listening, um, I'm just going to plug our rapid relief call here because Bob just did such a beautiful job of describing the benefits. So if you're struggling and, uh, and you just need a lifeline, we have a rapid relief call. You go to rapidreliefcall.com and book a one hour free call with anyone on the team. You'll walk away with new perspectives and an action plan and, uh, and it'll move you forward. And so give yourself that gift and do that. That's how Bob started. And Bob, I wish you uh, love and joy and abundance of all that fulfills your life. And um, thank you again for, you, for your time today. This has just been lovely. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, thank you. And I received that. And I will embrace every bit of what you just gifted me. So thank you. And we will be back again real soon with another episode of Voices of Celebration. Until then, you take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com. 
where our team of coaches support both men and women throughout one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.